Hyperno Goethe, German-Irish Conversations. Join me, St. Pauli fan and former Dusseldorfer Kieran Murray, in conversation with my guests as we explore the connecting moments of German and Irish life. We delve into the many aspects of arts, language and life across cultures. What do musicians, dancers, artists and writers pick up from both cultures? And how are they inspired and enriched by the other? Hyperno Goethe. German-Irish Conversations is for all listeners who like to go and think beyond borders. This podcast is supported by the Goethe Institute Dublin. Hello and welcome. And my guest today is Dijke Potzel, uh, the German ambassador. So Dijke, I first wanted to ask you, how does an ambassador get a job? Did you know that you were coming here or was it a random, they picked the country out of a hat? No, um, what happens is that um, every summer there's a list being published in the ministry uh, with all the vacancies for the next summer and then you have to apply for it. So that's what I did and I put Dublin on the top of my list because I really wanted to come here and luckily enough the minister then agreed that I could do that so that was fantastic. And is this your first ambassador's posting? Yeah, it yeah. is, yeah. No, we were posted abroad before obviously so um, I spent a couple of years in Singapore and then after that we spent four years in Tehran, in Iran and then spent a long time time in Berlin doing different things and then now Dublin is the first ambassador's posting oh. yes would you say it's a sought after job Dublin yeah absolutely yeah 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 we always have a long list of people yeah. applying for Dublin it's probably a very unfair question and maybe uh, diplomatically you can't really answer it but are, are, are there places that are at the bottom of the list that nobody wants to do not nobody but there are obviously very difficult postings like my husband he was ambassador to Kabul for two years between 2014 and 2016 and you really need to want to do something like that I now he does I can't imagine there were many ambassadorial champagne parties in Afghanistan uh, aren't they even at the whiskey club you know mind <laughs> you they are looking after themselves yeah so yeah. no and, and, and he's just a person who loves doing it now he threw his head in for Baghdad for next year so um, I mean there are when people think about ambassadors you know they think of Rome and Paris and you know uh, beautiful places like Dublin but there are the Baghdads there are the Kabuls there are uh, very difficult places in in Africa for instance as well and or think of Venezuela at the moment you know with the situation being so difficult so when you look around the globe there are so many countries where life is really difficult and we have embassies basically everywhere so yeah some of my colleagues there are are um, serving in really, really difficult situations. Mm. And you did know Ireland a bit before you came here as I, the ambassador? Yeah, I did. We spent a couple of days here during our interview tour right after the fall of the wall, really. My my now husband, then boyfriend, uh, and I went out um, on that interview tour, which was great. So we came here. Um, I studied English, um, language and literature. So I came across Irish history yeah. there and, lang- and, and also the literature. So yeah, I knew do, a little. Do you get to revisit the places... Uh, now as German ambassador that you visited then as interrail student? Oh, I won't have the time really because we went to so many places in those four <laughs> weeks. Uh, it was amazing because we were kind of really hungry to see the world coming both from East Germany and so um, we travelled the whole of Europe and if I may add if uh, anyone, anyone of the young ones is listening, do buy a ticket, uh, an interrail ticket, you can still do that or even as a pensioner nowadays they have offers for pensioners and once this pandemic is over and you can travel again. This is like the most fabulous way to see as much as you can of Europe. I think so. Another thing that I found very compelling was Irish history. And I don't know why, but somehow I had, had always been interested in it. And it's so diverse and so interesting that I that that also compelled me to come here. Is Irish history quite different from German history? Is it that... Um uh, German history being so much about uh, being in the middle of Europe 
and being a place with uh, so many different cultures and languages and worlds kind of around it and yet uh, Ireland out on the edge of Europe is a, is a very different historical setting. It is a very different historical setting, absolutely. And, well, our German history has been very broken and, you know, there were a lot of very, very, very painful times there, uh, which we still carry around, obviously. And on the other hand, what I find so interesting about the Irish history is, um, again, you know, it's been, can I say, a troubled past um, over many centuries. And so there are so many interesting stories and developments and events that made Ireland the country it is today, um, and the island, I have to say, it is today, which is extremely interesting, you know, from an historical point of view, but also if you reflect about the future. So what is there to come um, with what you bring from history to your lives? So, but obviously, I mean, being uh, on an island is different than being in the midst of Europe. Mm. Yeah. Did you study history? No, I studied English and French language and literature, actually. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that's also how I came across, you know, Irish literature and history and all that. Yeah. Yeah. So is, is there a particular era of German history that, that you enjoy reading about? Well, about? enjoy, I think, is not the right word. But yeah. um, obviously, you know, the, the Second World War is uh, something that is uh, has had uh, and still has a huge impact of um, who we are as a people. And so I find that um, extremely important mm-hmm. um, to know about it yeah. and to know as much as you can about this awful air, um, yeah, time there, in our past. There is, a, there is kind of um, a lot of openness in Germany for talking about it and trying to deal with the Nazi era that uh, lots of other countries don't necessarily have. Do you think that has had a positive effect on Germany? Well, I, ho- I should hope so, yeah, um, yeah. because it's so important to, I think, to go to the painful eras in your past and have a look at it and I mean you know Germany well and I'm sure you know all the monuments that are there to remember and even like um, I don't know whether you ever came across those cobblestones the golden cobblestones which uh, name Jewish people who were killed in in the Third Reich where where Uh, are they? Um, well, they are basically cobblestones, but they are made of gold. And they're like they would take out the one of the normal cobblestones from the pavement and then put in the cobblestone okay. made of gold. And a name and the date of birth and death yeah, is written. In, is in that there. in Berlin? And that's no all over the place okay, really in yeah. Germany. And yeah. uh, and I love this project. So there is also criticism because a lot of people say, "Oh, I don't want to kind of step on those names." Yeah. But like there is one. Uh, of those stones also in front of our house um, in Berlin, where our yeah. apartment is. And it just integrates this memory uh, of these people and of what happened into your daily routine, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it, it's really, I mean, you walk along and you see them and it's just there. And I just love that idea, you know, to, to confront people in their daily routine with what had happened. So, no, I'm I'm, I'm glad that uh, we we have been so eager to look into it in the last couple of decades, really. I mean, it took Germany quite some time to get there, but I think we did a good job now, yeah. When you think about coming here, when you think about uh, the things that are politically interesting, did you know much about the border in Ireland? Or I, I suppose, did you know much about it? But also, do you think that Germans know much about the border in Ireland? I would say they know more now because of Brexit than they used to. There is obviously a, a huge knowledge in political circles. You know, um, everybody who is politically interested would know about it. But also the newspapers have reported extensively on the issue once the Brexit referendum happened. And there was a lot of, I think, very high level understanding of the, the complexity of the situation and the severeness of the situation. And I 
myself, yeah, I, I knew about it, obviously, before I came here. I prepared for it um, as well. And having been here in the 90s um, also helped to have um, a sort of a basic understanding, I would say. But I obviously learned so much more while being here because I met so many really, really interesting people and heard so many stories about the past, which really left a huge impact. And it's, um, it's been a wonderful journey to be able to learn so much about it. Do you find it's very odd that differences between religions, I suppose, Catholics and Protestants, still has much more meaning here than it would have in Germany? I mean, Catholics and Protestants in Germany probably hardly means anything. Well, I mean, there are uh, those who still, you know, take a huge interest in those differences. But, uh, but yeah, no, obviously it is extremely different. But I find it, like from my perspective, difficult to reduce the, the, the conflict to that difference, really, or that antagonism. Because I don't feel that it is really a religious conflict. It's social, it's power struggles and what have you. And it's not, you know, a a question about, you know, an interpretation of the Bible or something. So it is a very different setting. Yeah. And, And also in that, obviously, it is very different from other settings around the globe. I mean, do you think there's much awareness in Germany of Ireland Really, what what sense have most Germans got when they think of Ireland? I think there's a huge positive image um, of Ireland and Germany, but I would not say that too many people would have a very um, differentiated view of Ireland. So, like the Irish have their stereotypes in mind when they think of the Germans, likewise the Germans have a lot of stereotypes when they think of Ireland. You know, I mean, drink, drinking Guinness is one, lovely music in pubs is the other, green meadows everywhere, a lot of rain, a lot of rain. And uh, so you have those stereotypes. And like, I think there is a need for uh, people to better understand like the modern Ireland. You know, a lot of people would still probably consider Ireland a very Catholic country as well. Mm-hmm. That's in, ingrained in people's minds. And so to know the, the new Ireland, the modern Ireland, I think um, is something really important. And is, is living here different than you imagined? As I say, I learned a lot also uh, in terms of the stereotypes, okay, you know, yeah. crashing does it, the does stereotypes. It rain, does it rain as much? It doesn't rain as much <laughs> at all. And I'm like tr- trying to keep saying that to my, my Irish friends as well. You know, I mean, it's nice because it gives you something to talk about. But honestly speaking, I mean, there's sunshine all the time and I keep sending photographs to my family. You know, this is a yeah, wonderful morning yeah. in, uh, in Dublin again. And they go like, That's what did you, What did your friends and family say when you got the job in Ireland? Oh, they were very happy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very, very happy because they also thought like, oh, wow, we can go there and this is great. Okay, and yeah, uh, yeah. So, no, everybody was very happy. I suppose then when you were saying the stereotypical sense that uh, Irish people have of Germany, is that what you expected or did anything surprise you about how Irish people imagine Germans to be? Yeah, surprise in a way and it basically also made me realize that there is still a lot we can do, you know, also as an embassy, also as diplomats to try and spread the message that there is also a Germany away from the stereotypes. And I hope that I've succeeded here and there maybe already to spread the the good news uh, that we are also different from the stereotypes. But yeah, it's still uh, very prevalent and it's a long, long kind of way to change those these stereotypical views of each other you know it will take a long time and if you were to recommend uh, uh, someone in Ireland to go on holiday in Germany where would you um, 
Or would you be sending them? Mm. Now, that's a difficult one, actually, because Germany is so varied. You know, I mean, you, there's something for every taste. So if someone likes climbing, you know, go south, go to see the Alps, go close to Munich, whatever. If you like skiing, same thing, go south. If you like outdoor sports, you know, I mean, we have lovely, wonderful rivers, for instance, where you can do that. The Baltic Sea, the North Sea is just fantastic. You have wonderful white sandy beaches, you know, for kilometers on end. So there really is something for every taste. So I can't, you know, I could yeah. spend an hour where, talking about that now. <laughs> where would you go on your on your holidays in Germany? Well, this summer we again went to the Baltic Sea. I'm a, I'm a water person, so I really like being at the seaside. Uh, my hubby likes the mountains as well, so we did that from time to time as well. But, uh, you know, I mean, you can go for a city break. But, like, my favorite place is a place called Hiddensee the Hidden Sea. It's a tiny little island off the Baltic coast. No cars allowed. Um, people cycling um, on that little island and beautiful beaches. I mean, the whole island basically is a beach in a way. And uh, and it's just gorgeous. It's calm and peaceful and really beautiful. So it's I not that easy get to get to, is it? I, I, I don't have an issue with from, it. You from know? here. <laughs> well, from here, yeah, you wouldn't have to fly to either Hamburg or Rostock and then, then take a, a ferry. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, or from Hamburg, actually, you would then have to take a car and then the ferry. So, yeah, it's yeah. it's a bit. Of, but once you're in Berlin, you know, you can just go up by car and then take the ferry. So it's it's not that complicated. Um, was it a kind of a, a particular place? I'm trying to look for the word. Was it a kind of a, a hidden a hideaway place uh, during the DDR era? Yes and no. Um, first of all, indeed, uh, a lot of sort of, um, you know, artists and free thinkers <laughs> yeah. they they sometimes went there but on the other hand it was uh, also in the hands of the ruling party um, they had a number of sort of holiday resorts there kind of shielded away so I, I'd never been there in East Germany times okay. um, yeah. and uh, and only um, discovered it after so the artists and the free thinkers and the Stasi all went on the holidays too yeah so. <laughs> yeah, yeah you could say that absolutely yeah you did grow up in the DDR, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, was it a surprise in 1989 when things changed? Well, the fall of the wall was a complete surprise. I mean, it just we didn't really know what struck us. <laughs> I have to say that night, you could see change coming. In '89, a lot of people started leaving East Germany. You know, trying to to make it to West Germany. A lot of people going to Prague, uh, hiding in the West German uh, embassy, and going to Hungary, for instance, trying to flee East Germany. So that was all happening. You, you, so you could feel that something is going on, and it's not going to be the same anymore. On the other hand, you had like a very fierce leadership who were saying, and I still remember that sentence very clearly, we will not shed a tear for those guys uh, who are trying to, to was that, flee. Was Eric Honecker? That still, was Eric yeah. Honecker, yeah. 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 Did, you, did you and your friends and family talk about going to Hungary to get into Austria or was that something that came up? No, it did not because a lot of people in East Germany, like till even after the fall of the war, thought there must be a third way. And there was a lot of talk about, you know, finding our own way. Uh, there wasn't that much talk about reunification. And then that summer in 89, I went um, on, a, on a holiday trip with my then boyfriend um, to Bulgaria. And we also went through Hungary. And on the way back, there was this moment where we thought, shall we turn left into one of the refugee camps or shall we go back home? Now, I didn't have any relatives in the West. I was in the midst of my studies. I didn't have anything with me, you know, to prove what I had done and what have you. So so we went back. My home family was back home. Um, but I still remember when we arrived, 
that was the day when Honecker said we will not shed a tear uh, when we arrived back home. And we looked at each other and we said, like, I think we made a mistake <laughs> to come yeah. back. So, yeah. yeah. But anyways, it turned yeah. out all right. Yeah. And when you were a student uh, um, at that stage, did you imagine that there was a, a career in in East Germany in the DDR? Did you think that um, that that's who you were going to be and where you were going to work? Yeah, I mean, you know, you you, you live um, in the circumstances that you know you live in, and yeah. um, I I was uh, lucky enough to get a place at university, which was not the case for everybody. And I was lucky enough to actually be um, allowed to study what I wanted to study, languages, although I didn't study the languages that I had applied for because, you know, it was all directed and you were given something um, that you had to study. And uh, and I always wanted to be um, a translator. So yeah. I had actually thought I would translate books. That's okay. what I would have loved to do because I love literature and H- all that. How's your Russian? It's, it's kind of in shambles now, but yeah. I, I, when I, when I, if I'd be posted there, I think it'd come back. Yeah. So, yeah. and uh, and yeah, so yeah, I thought I, I'll, I'll just work away, you know, as a translator, interpreter, and I, well, you know, but when you're 21, I was 21 when the war fell. So how yeah. how, how how much of a prospect do you yeah. or perspective do you yeah. create for yourself? So, yeah. Do you think was it particularly hard on people of a of um of middle age or of middle of mid career or something was were they the ones who were really struck oh absolutely absolutely i think like people mid beginning of their 40s till mid 50s you know and the middle of their life um uh for them it was really really difficult like for me i was 21 as i said and i um like the world opened up to me mm-hmm. you know and I, I i i didn't have any sort of strings attached you know i didn't have a family i had to care for and whatever elderly i mean people who were like 55 plus they were close to pension age which was fine again you know but then this middle group this middle age group um, they had a family to look after you know they had themselves to look after they had um, a, a lot of them lost their jobs hundreds of thousands of people lost their jobs within months very few months so unemployment rose to like 25 percent and more um in east germany so and and for a lot of people this really was a catastrophe you yeah, know yeah. um and also like our whole life system changed within 24 hours so yeah it ha- i think it had the biggest impact on that age group was the reunification a surprise as well coming so quickly yeah, it, it it was. And as I said, I mean, a lot of people or the majority, I think, of people um, thought we would have like our own way, yeah. kind of, you know, yeah. determine our own way. And uh, reunification yeah. was uh, not something in people's minds for a long time. And when it happened, yeah, it came as a surprise. Yeah. Do, you, do you still have your DDR passport? I do, yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's no longer valid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you probably won't need it again. Uh, no, 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 hopefully not. <laughs> in, a, in a much more uh, modern political sense, I suppose, um, how do you think the notion that uh, uh, Dublin is closer to Boston than Berlin works? How does that feel for you coming coming from where you come from? Yeah, well, actually, the first time I heard it, I, it made me kind of sad, I have to say. Um because I thought, oh, what a pity, you know. I mean, um, apparently uh, people know much more about, you know, this place so far away than they know about us. Um, and it's, it's, it's a shame, really. But on the other hand, obviously, for historical reasons, you can see where it's coming from. And so there are good reasons to say that. If I look to the future, I would hope that that narrative changes a little bit uh, more because, A, geographically, obviously, we are very close um, to Ireland. Uh, I mean, from Dublin to Berlin, it's only two hours flight. Also, I think in a, in, a, in a 
sort of mental or uh, personal way. I mean, we are all Europeans. And I think uh, recent um, developments have shown how important that is, you know. And and I hope that we as a continent will and as an, an, a peace project the EU as a peace project will be able to grow closer together and and I hope we will learn more and then maybe maybe uh, someday um, the Irish might say oh Berlin is actually mentally and geographically closer to us than than Boston <laughs> that would be lovely have you have you been to Boston no I no, not. no, me neither. No. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to identity, you mentioned that kind of European identity. What do you think is at the core of your German identity? What What makes you German? Basically, um, really the way I was brought up, um, you know, with all the input in terms of culture, of language, obviously, of history, the whole setting of beliefs and disbeliefs that your parents and your grandparents and your friends and your teachers sort of put into you um, and the way you you interact with those things. I think a very big part of my identity as as a German indeed is history. We were talking about that before. I think that that has a huge impact of who I am and and, and, and how I see the world um, and what also made me go into that profi- uh, profession, um, I think. And yeah, so I think it's a, it's a combination of things that, that, that shape your worldview and your... Your, yeah, your, your being. And, and you said that, that uh, to some degree it's your, it's your upbringing, and, but obviously your upbringing was kind of in a different country. Yeah, a country a, that no longer exists. Yeah, yeah. I have a friend who, um, who says he's Czechoslovak, yeah. but it doesn't, it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. And he doesn't really feel Czech or Slovak. Yeah. Uh, so it, is, is there a part of you that still feels East German? No, absolutely. Yeah. And I've, I I always find that um, kind of talking about this very interesting. Um, and I was um, in Waterford a couple of I don't know, a year and a half ago or something like that. Um, and a friend took me to a pub there. And there were a couple of his friends there. And one guy says, you know, where are you from? And I say, I'm from East Berlin. And he looks at me and says, why do you say East Berlin? And then I kind of, you know, I had this mm-hmm. moment for like yeah. 30 seconds where I went like, why do I say that actually? Um, I had never thought about it. It's just so natural. And then thinking about it, I thought like, no, I'm right in saying that because this is where I'm from. You know, I'm not from Berlin. I'm not from a unified place. I'm, yeah. I'm not from West Germany. I am. I was born and bred there and it made me the person I am. And it had a, a huge impact on who I am and how I see the world. And so, yeah, it's absolutely right to say that uh yeah i am an east berliner yeah um, i met a german woman and she was telling me that uh, she has a certain nostalgia for the old west germany because she feels that in some ways it's often forgotten there's no westalgia there's mm-hmm. only ostalgia for the the nostalgia for the east but uh, but she's from bonn mm-hmm. and she grew up in the capital and then it was taken away so she yeah. has this un- unusual sense of loss that most west germans don't really have do you think there's a bit of a a, a forgotten Old Bundesrepublik, that smaller place. Oh yeah, the so-called Bonn Republic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that no longer exists. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I know that a lot of people struggled really hard when the decision was taken that the capital would move to Berlin. Yeah, but yeah, I can see that. Um, Is there absolutely. much left in Bonn? Is there many? Oh yeah, I mean, uh, Bonn has hardly le- lost any his citizens. A lot of people moved in because we made it a place for the United Nations organizations to be based. Yeah. So a lot of you know, again, you know, foreigners yeah. moved in um, with the United Nations. So it's actually no, it's it's yeah. it's still a very nice place. I, I, I find people kind of forget that Bonn was the capital very quickly. They almost yeah. remember Weimar as kind of capital rather than Bonn. I think yeah. Weimar has a more interesting reputation. 
Yeah, I think in Germany it's still very present yeah. that Bonn used to be the capital. Also, I mean, we still have ministries there. So part of the ministries are still based in Bonn. And uh, so it's it's still very much present um, in, in people's minds. But when you were asking about like the, the, the Westalgia, I think it might also be a little bit more difficult to find that because basically the East adopted the West German system. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, it's it's yeah, still yeah. very much present yeah. everywhere. So Do you think there's sometimes a kind of a resentment, maybe that's slightly too strong a word, there's kind of a sense in some of the very comfortable places in West Germany that uh, that the East has brought troubles and has brought the rise of the right and that uh, there's almost a nostalgia for not having the East mm. Mm. I don't know, places maybe like Bonn or maybe like Aachen or just far away somehow from there. Yeah, there there are those sentiments. Also, polling data shows that a lot of West Germans apparently feel that the East Germans are not grateful enough because the West Germans paid so much money for the East. Whereas, unfortunately, also East Germans, a lot of them, 59%, according to recent polls, feel that they are still looked down at like second-class citizens. They really feel like second-class citizens. And so there is there are quite a lot of issues there still um, uh, which we need to talk about in our societies. And yes, I know that there is this kind of again is it a stereotype I don't know but obviously the the, the, the right wing parties um, are more are stronger in, in East German federal um, states but I also have to say that a lot of the people running the show in those right wing parties they're actually West Germans <laughs> so um, that's sometimes uh, yeah. not so prominent in the news but it's it's a very complex picture that's yeah. what I want to say I want to say about that but we have to look at into it and there is a lot of debate that we have to we have to have still in Ireland because there's very very small far right groups looking across at the place that we sometimes refer to as the continent yeah uh, <laughs> it can be difficult i think for Irish people to understand the rise of a far right are there particular reasons in Germany? Do you have a sense of why why that happens? Well, first of all, I think it's um, a current that is kind of that has emerged in a lot of places a- around Europe. So it's not that we are the only ones. And once there's a current somewhere, obviously it gets picked up here and there. But of course, there are there are issues uh, which these far right parties, right wing parties pick up on, you know, people being unhappy with their current situation, be it because of the economy, be it because, as I say, you know, feeling like second class citizens, being unhappy with the way the society is organized, feeling neglected, um, you know, also that um, and that kind of led in, in, in Germany to the rise um, of those far, in, uh, far right wing parties. We had the migration crisis and we took in nearly a hundred, uh, nearly a million refugees in 2015. And a lot of people, and especially in the East, felt threatened. You know, now you can look at um, the, the the data, and you can be surprised because, especially in in the East, there are not that many foreigners. You know, yeah. most of them they go yeah. to either Berlin or West German cap, uh, cities. But you know, I mean, fear is very often bred where you don't have exposure to the mm-hmm. actual yeah. perceived threat. Yeah. So that definitely was kind of a catalyst for those right-wingers in in, uh, in the eastern federal states, yeah. So it's it's a very complex discussion um, and, and a very complex problem, but there are a lot of things we can tap on and we need to talk about again, you know, um, with each other. To jump entirely from, from that kind of conversation, this was apropos of nothing at all, you said that when you were talking about what it means to be German, what makes you German, that one of the things is, uh, is speaking German, mm-hmm. obviously. Have you found here then it's a bit unusual in Ireland because most Irish people don't speak Irish? Yeah, they don't, yeah. But you 
do a little bit? Well, I did a little bit at the, at the beginning when yeah. I came here. Um, unfortunately, I didn't really have the time to do more, and I really would love to do it because I think it's a beautiful language. It really is a beautiful language. Difficult, though, I have to admit. I find it really difficult. The grammar, oh dear. But it is beautiful anyways. So, I don't know. I mean, I see... Um, as an outsider, that more young people pick it up, seem to pick it up now in Ireland. Um, uh, Irish-speaking schools, the Gaelic schools, they ha- they have a lot of people who want to come in. Um, and you have the pop-up Gaelic pops and all that. So it's 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 really lovely to see that, I think, from an outsider's perspective. Yeah. Because minority languages are, are not so much of a thing in Germany. Um, what do you mean? There aren't so many places where um, Germans would speak a different first language. They would tend yeah, to have. there are a few. There yeah. are a few, um, and they are then also taught in schools. But it's very regionalized. Yeah, um, very, yeah. very regionalized. But but yeah, the majority of people speak German, mind you, in very different dialects, as you yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, as a Prussian, uh, a Berliner, it's it's for me, it's hard to sometimes understand someone coming from downtown, uh, yeah. down, you know, somewhere in Bavaria. So it's uh, yeah, the dialects are very different. Actually, I suppose not to keep going back to the old DDR days, but I suppose there was. Wasn't much interaction in those days, so Bavarian or, or, or Badish or something like that must have sounded extremely unusual when you first heard it. Yeah, because you wouldn't have heard it uh, growing up. Yeah, um, not full fledged. That's true, but I mean, we um, had West German television okay, and West yeah. German radio. Yeah. So um, I was kind of accustomed yeah. to the idea that there are yeah. different dialects all, uh, yeah. over was there. Was that not banned? Sorry. Was that not banned? Were you allowed to listen to? Uh, and watch no, we were not allowed. Okay, but, but we did. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean basically in my in my home we only watched and listened to West German TV yeah. and radio. So keeping the the windows shut and refraining from talking about it actually. So you knew who you could talk to about it okay. like in school with your best friends and what have you, but usually you would um try not to if you, if you didn't know people, you wouldn't really talk about it. Yeah. Just talking about uh, that sense of identity and stuff. Uh, you worked in lots of different places in, in Singapore and Iran and stuff. Is it different being a German? Is it different how Germans are perceived in those places than it is in Ireland? Oh, absolutely. And I think uh, sort of an experiment for all of us should be to kind of, you know, turn around the map when you're there to see like from their perspective where we are you know like when you sit in Singapore Germany is so far away you know and other places obviously like Malaysia or Indonesia even Australia and places like that they are much closer you know China you know much much more important than we are um, in in Europe and uh, I personally also felt much more like European than German when I was in Singapore because you know you realize that this is really home and and you feel connected to that region and not so much the differentiation between oh I'm I'm German I'm Italian I'm French so that was very interesting and then uh, Iran is a completely different setting yet again because they they've always liked the Germans a lot, uh, not always for the right reasons, I'd say. Um, but um, <laughs> was it sometimes that they were simply tired of the British, so that the Germans seemed just an alternative? Oh, absolutely, that, and yeah. they also had um, that race issue kind of thing. Um, so they they say they are Aryans, and so you oh, know where they yeah. they go from there. And yeah. we we sometimes had still today, uh, or when we were that, posted, there conf- interesting yeah. debates about that. Yeah, is that very confusing for people on the far right in Germany? I can't imagine that they would welcome everyone from Iran with open arms just because they might be prehistorically uh, Aryan. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. yeah, probably. Yeah, it yeah. would. It would be. What about the 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 stereotypical German that an Irish person might understand? Is that the same as a Iranian or a Singaporean would understand? 
of uh, the stereotypical German. Yeah. I mean, there are certain uh, straits, definitely. You know, I, I think everybody around the world believes that we are hardworking, um, very well organized, always on time. A lot of people definitely would say we are not funny. And, uh, and, those, and, and we drink beer. Uh, we make good cars. So and those that, are a few. Does that hold even in Iran? That's how they. That's how they. Uh, yeah. See, yeah. 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 I wonder whether there's a place around the globe where that isn't the case. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah. We did. We did mention that Heinrich Böll thing about when he came here to write after the Second World War, and I think one of the things he said was that uh, he realized it was a place where there hadn't been a war, mm-hmm. so people had a very different view of Germans. Mm-hmm. Do you think that Heinrich Böll world and how he wrote, do you think that has seeped into the German sense of um, how they understand Irishness? Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. When he published that book, I mean, it, it became a bestseller um, in Germany. And even today, I think nearly next to next to every tourist who's coming here reads it or has read it during his holiday here. So it is still very influential. I know that the Irish at the beginning, when it was translated at the beginning of the 60s, didn't like the book so much because it portrays a sort of outdated yeah, island yeah. which people weren't happy about yeah. at the time anymore. I think to Germans, and, and if I sort of think about myself when I read it, it's just, it's a bit kind of a melancholic look it's a historic look and it's just it's warm you know you can feel that he loved Ireland absolutely adored it and and that love trans kind of transpired to the readers and yeah. it's yeah so it's really still influential. Do you, do you know the part of the book isn't it amazing that uh, the swastika laundries still existed here and you could still drive around Dublin in the 1950s with a swastika on the side of your van and there was a swastika in Donnybrook probably not that far from the German embassy mm. on, a, on a chimney Mm. quite high on the laundries on the mm. chimney laundries that that kind of thing existed probably what didn't exist in many other countries no no but you still find them in Asia you know for very different reasons oh, so yeah, it has it, nothing to yeah, do with yeah, it's a, it's a you Hindu know, symbol or it something is, it? Yeah. it is so, yeah. do, do you uh, know what it means no Okay. I don't yeah. know, um, but but you find it there very often. But yeah, I mean, obviously Ireland was not sort of involved in the war, and uh, and and for that reason, it it has a very different. I think people have a different take. Even you yeah. know, if you look at the the name, the emergency, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it, it it shows that. Yeah, the take on it was different. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a favorite Irish writer? Ah, oh, there are so many. It's so difficult to pick out. Like when I was studying, you know, we started off with the classics and all that. And uh, I like Colm Tobin. Uh, I like and Enright. You know, and there are so many. I've, I may admit that I that I still struggle with Ulysses. <laughs> <laughs> so. I like James Joyce, but it's just it's it's very complicated reading. Yeah. But no, but there are so many and and uh, Irish and also Northern Irish um, readers. I recently um, read uh, The Milkman, which I really enjoyed. I learned yes, so much. It's 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 not book. an easy read. Yeah, I thought, yeah. but it it was fabulous. Yeah. And and so yeah no there are quite a few which I really like and yeah. enjoy reading and then if I may also mention Hugo Hamilton who is a German Irish writer yeah. and I really did find you, did you read the speckled people of course it's a, it's yeah before a, I came here yeah, it's, uh, it's a great that book. notion of being half Irish half German and being brought up in Irish and in German in an English speaking world is amazing isn't yeah, it absolutely, yeah absolutely absolutely loved yeah. it so yeah no you have yeah. such a rich literature which is fantastic and what about for Irish people who sometimes wouldn't know that much about Germany is there a German author or German books that you'd recommend that people might get more of an insight mm. oh it's funny that you yeah. mentioned that because a friend of my book club she just ah. asked me that question for another friend yeah. of hers and I came up with this 
huge email <laughs> of so many yeah, authors. Okay, yeah. It's so difficult to say. Yeah. But, I mean, you can find a few in the bookshop. Well, we can too. add to the end of the podcast. We can add some recommendations from you. Yeah, it would so, be lovely. Yeah. But just to say, I mean, there are obviously there are some classics, but then there are others, more modern ones, which are worth reading. I'm a big fan of Hans Fallada, okay, uh, yeah. uh, who uh, basically described Germany in the 1920s, 30s and 40s. Beautiful books there. Uh, Siegfried Lenz is a wonderful author. Um, but then the modern ones as well, you know, Daniel Kehlmann, for instance, Measuring the World, beautiful book. Are you Jenny going to recommend Crusoe's Hidden Say? Yeah, well, <laughs> yes, it's a, it, it, it was a bestseller and it won a lot of prizes. Was it a bestseller, was it? It was, oh yeah. yeah. And it won um, a lot of prizes. I personally struggled a little bit. It actually plays, it's set on that island that I mentioned. That's Hidden what I was saying, that's what I was bringing up, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, it's that kind of, uh, for me, it's that kind of magic realism, what yeah. you call it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. that you don't really know what's going on. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think the uh, the occasional glass of wine helps to get <laughs> into the mood. But uh, yeah. but no. Um, but there are so many others now. Just in my book club, we just read Dörte Hansen, a book called in English "This House Is Mine." Beautifully written book, and uh, my my book book club friends they all loved it, describing you know the stories of refugees from what is now Poland after the war coming and then uh, but also other people fleeing their life and getting together and in this setting in a little village in Germany and it's just so beautifully written so there are uh, wonderful stories like that um, and I'm I'm more than happy to share that list with you uh, later on yeah maybe uh, to try and wrap up a bit I suppose Uh, what do you miss about Germany That's a tough one because I don't actually miss that much. Uh, (laughs) On a very personal level, I do miss my family, which is obviously a huge thing. But we made a conscious decision that I come here on my own and my family and my husband, they are all uh, back home or in Austria. My son is in Austria. On a more lighter uh, level, I miss uh, cherry jam. (laughs) And I don't understand why you don't have it here and you can't buy it anywhere. So, yeah. But other than that, you know, you can get everything here. And uh, I do miss my German newspaper in my my hands in the morning. So obviously I can read it online, but I'm still a very sort of offline person. So my... What what newspaper? Well, we like to read the Süddeutsche Zeitung. Yeah. And then we get Der Spiegel here. So that's okay. Magazine. I I like to read Die Zeit, which is a weekly magazine too. So it's, yeah. So these are the little things that you miss. There are some German... Foods. There's something about German restaurants, maybe more traditional German restaurants, that, that you just don't really get here. No, you, you know don't. that Sulze is that the name? The, the Sulze, Sulze, the, the kind of meat in the gelatin. Yeah, oh, that's awful. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like that at all. Like my mom loved it, but I just oh yuck. yeah. But you just you it's can't awful. get it here. It's, it's, no, you can't. <laughs> but I'm I, I'm uh, I don't regret that at all. No, but there are other things, obviously, yeah, which you don't get. You know, like German dark bread. It's yeah, difficult to yeah. find here as well. And, well, you can get in certain stores, you get uh, the occasional German bratwurst, which is lovely, yeah. um, and other things. So, yeah, uh, but then also back home, it's nowadays, it's not so easy to find traditional German restaurants. So we have gone very, very international in terms of our cuisine. Okay, yeah. yeah I suppose Berlin in particular. Yes, but yeah. then at least in Berlin you find the currywurst. Yeah. You know, so yeah. that's great. And you yeah. can get that everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I suppose it is kind of a question that probably comes up, but when your when your family come, and actually maybe when the, if if your family were to come and you had to keep them in Dublin, where would you bring them? In Dublin, yeah. um, well, you know, we 
enjoy walking along beaches together so we would definitely go and we did that you know go to to some of the beautiful beaches uh, Port Manoc or Britta's Bay I absolutely love Britta's yeah. Bay um, so we would go down there or even in town you know Sandy Mountain Beach and what have you and then of course you have the classics and I had so many friends coming over before COVID and uh, we would tour the city you know and, and walk around and go to Trinity and the museums and I'm a big fan of the Epic Museum for instance yeah. uh, which I really love uh-huh. and especially Actually, I like it because it's it's yeah. it's it's so modern and so it's really attractive for younger people as well. And then yeah, there are so many places where you you know the churches and Patrick's Cathedral and all that you know where you ha- would have to go and have a look and it's just yeah beautiful. All right then, I think we will leave it at that. Okay. Um, but I think we'll have to find some uh, cherry jam. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks. Yeah. 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 And a big invitation to all listeners, you know, reach out to us, reach out to Goethe Institute to learn more about us. You know, I mean, we've spoken about literature, but there are also fantastic new German movies and TV series and all that people don't know about. And it's really um, so much happening in German culture, beautiful music there and not only classical music. So reach out to us, follow us on Facebook maybe, and learn more. Yeah, Maybe on your recommendations that we'll add mm. to the podcast, uh, did, maybe you can add some music as well. Did you have a favorite uh, band when you were growing up? Yeah, but not German. I have to. <laughs> well, there were. I mean, people know Nena, right? Ninety nine yeah, Red Balloons yeah, and all that, yeah. like the new German yeah. wave. And I followed a lot of these guys and loved it. Uh, Udo Lindenberg is an icon in yeah. in, in Germany, mm-hmm. and everybody loves his music. So yes, there were a few. But like the posters on my wall, that was Boy George and Culture Club, and you know things <laughs> like that. So so pretty international, really. Yeah, but no, but they are now through my daughter, for instance, I get a lot of uh, ideas about um, th- like the young upcoming German um, artists and musicians, and there are some fantastic, like very complicated name, but An My Kanterreit is for instance big, and they have h- wonderful music. But then there's Herbert Grönemeyer, a bit older already. I, I think he's in the sixties, but he's just like a real rock star as well. Um, back home, Miles Müller, Westan Hagen, wonderful rock star. Um, he's already seventy, but his music is fantastic. And as I say, but also f- uh, for the younger ones, there are a lot of pop rap hip-hop you can find everything um a uh, lot of uh, djs techno djs uh, beautiful electro music so ah i, I need to send you a yeah. list now <laughs> yeah yeah we've l- lots of lists yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah I, I think definitely there should be a little bit of uh, udo lindenberg to give people yeah. a taste of something uh, very german yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. yeah lovely okay vielen dank yeah vielen yeah. dank likewise okay. yeah <laughs> go from Falsche road